And now, and now, and now, now. item, 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 item with Tommy Lee. Item with Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Item. I'm Tommy Lee, and this is the Item Podcast, my random record button for whatever's in my head at any given time. And today I'm continuing the weird experimental evolution of this complete mess of a podcast by trotting out what could very well be a new series within this series. Unless it completely tanks, which of course is entirely possible. I love history stories. I especially love the weird history stories that have become overlooked as time's gone by. So this is the first of what I'm going to call Why We Needed. And first out of the gate is his accidency. But he was important. So here's Why We Needed President John Tyler. Item number 108. I'm a guy who loves his radio career, but I always wanted to teach. If not music, I wanted to teach history and geography. I've always been a massive nerd in both of those areas, among others, of course. Uh, The only game on my phone, believe it or not, is a geography game. I'm serious. I actually used to buy old history books when I would go to antique stores so that I could read the way previous generations learned what I was learning. I'm sort of crazy about this stuff. So in my head, I have a lot of stories like this one. Let's see how well I can translate one of them to podcast. If I asked you to name American presidents from the 19th century, how many do you think you could actually come up with? Lincoln, sure, uh, you know Lincoln. Maybe you're aware that Thomas Jefferson opened that century in the relatively new White House. Maybe you remember U.S. Grant because he's on money, or Andrew Jackson for the same reason, or because he's Trump's favorite president. There's an off chance that maybe you can rattle off William Henry Harrison because he's the guy who was famous for being president for, like, 30 days. Harrison being the old man who caught pneumonia and died after delivering his incredibly long inaugural speech without wearing a coat. Everybody made fun of the guy who followed him and stuck him with the shitty nickname that I used earlier. But I posit that John Tyler was actually one of the most important presidents of the 19th century. Stay with me. I swear this is going to get good. Harrison did everything he could to prove that he was worthy of being president. He was a famous figure in the U.S. at the time. He was a successful military general who had won the Battle of Tippecanoe Creek, a 12-year governor of the Indiana Territory, the son of a guy who signed the Declaration of Independence. Eventually, his grandson would also be president. He was a foreign diplomat. He made an attempt at becoming our eighth president in 1836 as a member of the Whig Party. In that year, though, the Whigs were unable to get their shit together and pick one candidate to support, so Martin Van Buren and the Democratic Party that he helped to create won the election. But he struggled, as did the country, and ended up a one-term guy tagged with the nickname Van Ruin. Sadly, his biggest cultural contribution for people of our generation turned out to be the Van Buren boys from that episode of Seinfeld. Which, let's be honest, is worthy. The Whigs, however, figured it out in 1840, and they threw all of their energy behind Harrison and his stellar military record. This is the guy who killed Tecumseh, after all. They teamed him up with a former Democrat, John Tyler of Virginia, to put some balance in the ticket back when that kind of thing was important to the parties. Tyler was now pretty much an independent, and it worked. Van Buren got his ass handed to him in November, getting only 60 of the 294 electoral votes that were available in the election of 1840. 
So William Henry Harrison, 67, a guy who was almost 70 in an era when that age was downright ancient, became president of the United States. And to shut up the critics who said that he was too old and too simple-minded to be effective in the nation's highest office, Harrison delivered the longest, most sophisticated inauguration speech that anyone had ever written up to that time. 100 minutes long, and delivered again without a hat or a coat to demonstrate his vigor. On a very wet, very cold day in March. We used to inaugurate presidents in March, not January. And naturally, Harrison caught a cold. That cold became pneumonia. And he became a historical footnote 30 days later when he dropped dead. So John Tyler becomes the 10th president. A guy who wasn't even a member of the party that had just won the election. It was a nightmare for the Whig party, especially bosses in the party like Henry Clay in the House and Daniel Webster, the new Secretary of State. These two had pretty much handpicked Harrison's entire cabinet with a very definite agenda in mind. And that agenda was now in serious jeopardy with the very independent-minded Southerner who was now in charge. So who was Tyler? Tyler had been governor of Virginia and then a senator as an independent. Before that, he had dropped out of the Democratic Party after serving two terms in the House and stepping away because he really hated President Andrew Jackson and the way he ran the government. He hated Jackson enough to walk away from the party that he'd been a key member of for many years. The problem is, when old William Henry Harrison shuffled the mortal coil in the spring of 1841, there was nothing in the Constitution that clearly stated what was supposed to happen with the job next. Because the eight guys before Harrison had all, you know, lived out their terms. There was no precedent for the succession to president. There was talk of holding another election and having Tyler already being called his accidency in some circles, simply serving as acting president until a new winner could be declared. So you've got Tyler, who has backed into the gig, but is hardly a political neophyte. This is a guy who'd been a congressman, a governor, a senator, and he'd been tapped for the VP slot on a party ticket for a party he wasn't even a member of. Tyler was stubborn, and he hauled ass to Washington after he'd heard that the president had died, and he seized both the moment and the job by taking the oath of office as quickly as possible on April 6th. So whether they liked it or not, the executive branch had a new sheriff in town. The House and Senate both passed resolutions recognizing John Tyler as the 10th president of the United States. Which is a very good thing. And here's why. First, think about it. Tyler set the example that would have to be employed several more times over the years. Zachary Taylor died in office a decade later and Millard Fillmore moved up a chair. Lincoln shot a decade after that. We get Andrew Johnson. James Garfield shot at a train station in 1881 during his first year. Enter Chester Allen Arthur, probably the most unlikely guy ever to be president. William McKinley took a bullet in 1901. We get a guy named, uh, what was it? Um, Oh, yeah, Theodore Roosevelt. Kind of familiar. Warren Harding dies after a trip in Alaska in the 1920s. We get Calvin Coolidge. FDR dies at the tail end of World War II to give us Truman. And Kennedy, of course, led to LBJ. And if you add Ford to the list, who took over after Nixon resigned in disgrace and didn't finish his second term, that makes nine vice presidents who stepped up to sit at the Resolute desk 
all because of the set of balls on John Tyler. He was the first guy to have the song Hail to the Chief played for him, as if to further cement that he belonged there and, uh, you know, kind of flip the bird at the guys who didn't like him, of which there were plenty. Tyler, it turns out, ended up wielding the veto pen like Zorro with a sword, and his entire cabinet, except for Webster, ended up quitting on him. Congress even drafted articles to impeach him, which had never happened to a sitting president before. And Tyler was a total honey badger about it all and just kept doing what he thought was right, whether it was or not. So six of those names of vice presidents who advanced belonged to some pretty forgettable presidents. Chances are you only think of Fillmore as the theater where the Allman Brothers made that kick-ass live album. The others, Teddy Roosevelt, Harry Truman, and Lyndon Johnson, those are three pretty freaking important people in our country's history in terms of both their own legacy and in the direction of the country. Setting up the eventual change to the Constitution for presidential secession isn't even the most important thing that the incredibly forgettable John Tyler did. This is a guy who was a big deal because of the shape of the country, especially what we have out west, namely Texas, California, and the states in between them. He wasn't the closer, but he pitched some serious relief to set up the closers before he got off the mound. In 1841, when Tyler got the gig, Texas was entering its fifth year as an independent republic after breaking away from Mexico. It was a bloody mess that had an ongoing soft war going on. And Tyler, being a southerner, was very anxious to admit that big patch of land as another slave state in the south. So he made an agreement of annexation that was rejected by the Senate in 1844 thanks to the efforts of some northern senators. Texas annexation therefore became the focal point of the 1844 election, during which the incumbent Tyler found himself as literally a man without a party, which was kind of how he was living his life anyway. But that meant that neither the Whigs nor the Democrats wanted to nominate him, and he didn't stand a chance at winning again. But what he did set into motion before he left office was huge for the country. Okay, so in the waning months of Tyler's time in the White House, the Texas Resolution passes through Congress. When President Polk was in power a year later, Texas is admitted as the 28th state, the 15th with legal slavery. And after Texas happened, California, another big old former chunk of Mexico, was just waiting in the wings to join the Union. Tyler also settled the border of Maine, which had been disputed for decades. He extended the Monroe Doctrine and kept European powers from colonizing Hawaii, so, you know, we could instead. He also sent the first trade mission from the U.S. to China. Kind of important. He appointed high positions in his government by proclamation to avoid fights in Congress because nobody liked him. He accomplished a lot with the banks. Look, he accomplished a lot, period. Tyler was the man. What he mostly did was establish the dialogue with Mexico that allowed his successor, James K. Polk, to offer up $30 million to Mexico for what are now California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Mexico refused to sell, of course, and in 1846, Polk strong-armed Mexico into giving up the territory with a war that went on for two years, though it had been brewing for a long time before that. In 1848, Mexico recognized the new U.S. claims, including Texas and California, and the U.S. only had to pony up about $18 million, a bargain that we hadn't seen since the Louisiana Purchase. That war, that deal, that huge territorial gain, none of it happens without President John Tyler. Tyler bet that Texas could be annexed with a majority vote, then he bet that Mexico would be unable to win it back, and he bet that the U.S. would make Texas an offer that it couldn't refuse that looked tastier than independence. He was right on all of it. 
So bottom line is this. If John Tyler wasn't ballsy enough to seize the presidency, if he'd dropped the idea of Texan statehood when the treaty first fell apart, things could have turned out very different for the country. Well, so what, you might be saying. California and Texas would have joined up anyway. The U.S. was destined to spread from coast to coast between Canada and Mexico. I remember something about manifest destiny from school, uh, uh, whatever. Not so fast. In California in particular, if they hadn't joined the Union when they did, the circumstances for them to do so would have been a lot more difficult later on. Because think about this. Gold was discovered in California in 1849, just a year after the Treaty of whatever that signed away the rights of that territory to the U.S. Think San Francisco 49ers. That's where it comes from. If California had still been under the Mexican sphere of control in 1849, it's incredibly unlikely that they would have given up what would have become basically their richest territory. And it could be argued that a President Harrison, bogged down in a government picked for him by party bosses who were far more interested in infrastructure than anything else, uh, well, he probably wouldn't have been thinking a whole lot about Western expansion. California, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, even parts of Colorado and Wyoming would have either taken a lot longer to incorporate into a country that was still less than a century old, or it wouldn't have happened until much, much later, if at all. So without Texas entering the Union when it did, the way it did, thanks to the efforts of John Tyler on the mound setting up James Polk for the close, who knows what would have happened? And without Tyler setting the guidelines for presidential succession, Teddy Roosevelt might not happen, which means there might not be a Panama Canal Treaty. Harry Truman doesn't happen, so no Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe and forge an era of relative stability after World War II. No atomic bombs dropped on Japan, which, yes, a huge deal, a massive loss of life, but stopped the war pretty abruptly in August of '45. Oh, and LBJ, he likely struggles to win the White House after Kennedy's assassinated in 63. What does that mean for the Voting Rights Act of 1965? What's the impact on civil rights? So the accidental president, John Tyler, deserves some respect. At the very least, he deserves a higher place in history than he typically gets. Sadly, history remembers him more for what he did after he was in office. After attempting to thwart the Civil War as a member of the Virginia Peace Conference, he ended up becoming a key player in his home state's secession effort after he came to the conclusion that a compromise could not be reached between the sides. Tyler was elected to the first Confederate House of Representatives after he'd been a president of the United States. However, he died in 1862 before that Confederate House met for the first time. But think Texas, think California. That's why we needed John Tyler. This has been the Item Podcast, written and produced by me, Tommy Lee. It comes out now and then, whether it needs to or not, here at Audio Boom and at iTunes and Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts, places with obviously dubious standards. Item does not follow much of a regular schedule or format, for that matter. So if you want to hear it, subscribe to it. It does keep being different things, so hopefully you're still finding it interesting or at least entertaining. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, The Archive. Season 1 is a fiction serial based on my second novel that wraps up its 16-episode run later this month. 
honestly, it's turned into kind of a massive pain in the ass to put together, but I have loved every minute of the process. So hopefully you've listened to it and, you know, at least liked it. And as usual, thanks for listening. The item is part of the Optin On Demand family of podcasts. Tippecanoe and Tyler Two. This has been Item with Tommy Lee. Oh, who has heard the great commotion, motion, motion, all the country through? It is the ball rolling on for Tippecanoe and Tyler Two. And with him will be little Van, Van, Van is a used up man. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.